0: And what people don't realize is the masters of meditation know that every meditation is a gentle drifting back and forth between whatever the object of your attention is, whether that's your breath or a mantra or something else, as you cultivate your ability. And that means showing up every day, you spend a little less time in thought land and a little more time in breath or mantra land. That's it. You know? And so, What we're doing is we're cultivating our ability to witness. So when we open our eyes, now I can witness the world with a lot less reactivity. I won't take things so personally. I'll be more impeccable with my word. Suddenly we start to realize that it's a gentle, loving, sweet process.
1: This is episode number ninety-seven of the inspiring talk with Devraj. Welcome, guys, to the inspiring talk. My name is Biju Gautam. I'm your host for this show. Each week, I interview today's most successful and inspiring personalities to help you realize your inner potential. If you have been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that a lot of my guests talk about meditation and how it has helped them. Personally, I have been very, very regular with my meditation practice for the last couple of months and I love it. This episode is going to be your complete guide or masterclass to meditation, as I'm honored to have with me someone who has not only mastered the art of meditation, but also has taught millions of people across the world. My guest for this episode, David G, was COO and lead educator at Chopra Center set up by Deepak Chopra and David Simon, where he has trained over 300,000 people and certified more than 2,500 meditation teachers. David G is one of the most prolific creators of the guided meditations with over 1,000 practices available across the platforms. I'm a huge fan of David Z's guided meditation practices and I came across his work on a meditation app called Insight Timer. He has authored three books, including the latest one, Sacred Powers, The Five Secrets to Awakening Transformation. In our conversation, we discuss why should you start meditation, some of the common myths around meditation, how can you start meditation without getting overwhelmed? And Debitji even shares a 16-second powerful meditation practice that you can start today. This is one of the most insightful episodes of the show. Enjoy the conversation. Debitji, thank you so much for being on the show.
0: Uh, thank you for inviting me and uh, I'm honored. Namaste. And um Thank you for all the work that you do to share these powerful conversations with the world.
1: Thank you so much, Davidji. It's uh, truly my honor to have you on the show. And I have been meditating to your guided meditation on Inside Timer for a while now. And I love the practice that you have there on the Inside Timer. My personal favorite is surrender to the silence within. And also the, another one that I do is your morning daily practice that you have. So, Deviji, you started, I mean, your career is a finance guy, merger and acquisition and all that world. And then uh, you left that and eventually you became the COO of Chopra Center and you you were lead educator there. And then now you went into Share Your Own Practices, which is streamed by millions of people across the platform from SoundCloud to Insight Timer and YouTube and we're not. So how did you get into meditation? What was your introduction to meditation? Yeah,
0: you know, it's interesting. I started meditating uh, when I was in college. It was the first time I'd really been exposed to it. It was an experimental Asian studies course, and there were 12 of us. And uh, it was my first introduction to meditation. We were studying a lot of philosophy and theory, and then suddenly we were told, well, this is how you do it. You have to do the practice also. And so we would sit in a circle. Our Zen master stood in the corner. We were instructed to raise our hands when we had a thought come into our awareness. In his hands, he carried an 18-inch bamboo stick known as a keisaku and he would come over and hit us on the back uh, when we raised our hands. So I started. I stopped raising my hand every time I had a thought, and then I said, I don't really like this meditation thing. It's pretty painful. Uh, so I, uh, after two weeks, I left that, and then I began sort of like a journey because I, I liked the feeling. I liked the experience, and I, I liked the impact of it when I wasn't meditating. That was really the key. It's not like... Um, having a drink, and then you're, you know, you're sort of drunk or high or whatever. When you meditate, the magnificence and the beauty of meditation shows up in the rest of your day, and and that's the power of meditation. So many people are looking for the experience in the actual sitting with your eyes closed, doing nothing. Eh, that's, that's, sometimes that can be exciting and fun. But really the the premise and the, and the magnificence is when suddenly your eyes are open and you're back here with the rest of us and you're walking around and you're interacting with people and maybe you're a little more patient. Maybe you're a little more creative. Uh, maybe you're a little kinder to yourself and to other people. Suddenly you start to be a little more reflective instead of reflexive you're a little more thoughtful instead of thoughtless. And that gets woven into every aspect of who we are. So whether we're sending a text, whether we're having a really important or intense conversation, whether we're doing our job, there's sort of just like a little bit of space in there. Sort of like we've given our mind permission to take a breath. And you know, the fact that this stuff can be perceived as a little kooky or a little weird Um, But, you know, you go back to the Rig Veda. Um, You go back to the Bhagavad Gita. And oh, by the way, Gandhi read it every day. Einstein read it every day. Emerson read it every day. I mean, it's not like it's like this obscure thing that no one paid attention to. And so these 18 chapters are this magnificent deep dive into all the questions we could ever ask. And at some point, actually it's chapter two, verse 48, well, prior to that, uh, Arjuna says, you know, oh, my God, if you're really God, then maybe you could fill me in on some insights here. And they talk about life and death and purpose and meaning and love and why are we here and like all the really, really deep questions. And at one point True. he asks uh, God, he asks Krishna, how am I supposed to walk through the world? How am I supposed to live my life? And in chapter two, verse 48, Krishna replies, yoga stha kuru karmani, yoga stha Kuru karmani, yogasta means establish yourself in the present moment. Essentially, get still, kuru karmani, and then perform action. And there I was. Um, this is you know twenty years ago. I'm laying in a a hammock in a cashew forest in Kerala, and I'm just like hanging out there, listening to all the parrots chirp and stuff like that. And I'm I'm reading the the Gita for probably you know the five thousandth time. But suddenly, as I was laying there. And I read that particular verse, sloka, I was like, oh my God, that's it. Establish yourself in the present moment. And that hit me like a lightning bolt. And that everything became clear to me. And you know, I had already spent like six months in India searching for the guru. I was meditating every day and practicing yoga. I was bathing in the Ganges. I was visiting the temples. I had visited the, the Nadi. You know, the Jyotish Nadi, I had gone up into Dharamsala to see His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. He, he wasn't there that day. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. I've you know, been to the, into the Himalayas. I was in Rishikesh in Delhi and in Jaipur and Agra and, you know, down into Tamil Nadu, like all these places. And suddenly I read that and suddenly realized, oh, my God. Here I have been searching so hard to find the answers to life and to find all the meaning out there. And like, duh, the answer rests inside. In fact, the answer to every single question you could ever ask rests deep inside. You just have to quiet down the fluctuations of the mind just enough, just a little bit, so you can hear the whispers in your heart, so you could hear the whispers of God. And that was it for me. You know, that was my lightning bolt. And... I I raced back to New York and uh, several weeks later, a friend of mine said, Dude, all you do is sit around and meditate. And I was like, I know. Isn't it amazing? It's like four or five hours a day. Wow. And and he said, You know, well, if you, I know you love it, but you should probably teach other people to meditate. And, uh, Uh You know, I said to him, come on, I'm from New York. I don't care about anyone else's meditation. Uh, and he said, well, if you really want to learn something, <laughs> learn to teach it. And so mm. I headed out to, uh, to California to visit uh, the Chopra Center at the time. Uh, Deepak Chopra and Dr. David Simon, they were the founders of it. And um, it was an instant love connection. I went out there mm. for a workshop on Ayurveda and ended up, uh, they hired me on the third day to be the COO. And so I never went back home. I just, you know, (laughs) went to that, you know, suddenly. And so over 10 years, uh, you know, I had the ridiculous uh, privilege to be apprenticing under Deepak Chopra and under David Simon, traveling the world with them, teaching meditation. And I got certified. And as my meditation game elevated, that's what I did. So we would travel around, you know, Deepak would talk about all all of his mind-body-healing expertise, and David Simon would talk about his area that he wanted to talk about, and I'd be the person who would lead the meditation and teach everyone uh, Mm -hmm. the meditation. So I really got to the point where I was teaching meditation every single day in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, no matter where we were. And uh, I really got the opportunity to really listen to people, what stands in the way, what are their experiences, what do they like. What was the impact in their life? What were the blockages and excuses people were making for not meditating? And uh, that really allowed me to up my game. And as I taught and taught and taught. I became a better listener. And so I think that's one of the keys to to being a a better teacher is to listen a little more.
1: (laughs) So, yeah, very fascinating. So I picked a couple of points. So the first part where you talk about, um, you know, when you meditate and people are like, Thinking about, hey, you know what? Nothing's happening when I'm there on my meditation practice for five to seven minutes or 10 minutes. Nothing's happening. And like, as I was telling you before the recording that I have been on and off meditator for three, four years now, but I have started regularly meditating. Uh, you know, after the whole corona and lockdown stuff, because, you know, I have more time now. But what I have realized, as you mentioned, is I have become more calmer and more kind. And throughout the day, I am constantly being aware of my actions at multiple point of time. I won't say like throughout the day, but there are like several instances during the day where I'm aware of, uh, uh you know, my act. Or something that I'm typing or, you know, whatever I'm doing, like I'm becoming more aware of the thing, right? So that's one. Uh, Second thing, you know, that really fascinated me from the whole journey that you shared is your encounter with the Bhagavad Gita. And Bhagavad Gita is so ingrained in Indian culture. And uh, yet, like a lot of us here in India... Uh, you know, do not refer to that text and, you know, you being someone coming from US and exploring and then, you know, picking the insights and then sharing out with the world. That's like incredible, incredible journey there, G. So some of the things that you, you, you mentioned, right, you know, while well, you were working with Deepak and Chopra centers, right? What were some of the things that you discovered and, you know, while teaching uh, and also now science has proven a lot of benefits of meditation, right? Why should people meditate basically?
0: That's a great question. And really one of the the true benefits of me spending that time with Deepak and David Simon you know Deepak is an md david simon passed away but he was a neurologist you know a brain scientist and deepak was an, an endo practicing at the time endocrinologist so both of these wow. individuals were really steeped in the science in the real world modern scientific benefits and we used to joke you know if you're if you're hit by a car you don't want to sprinkle some ayurvedic herbs onto your wound you know <laughs> you need some like real modern science and so one of the things they always stressed is that if we can find the balance between uh, some of the things that um we know to be true but they're just empirical they're not actually scientifically proven and then we can continue to like actually prove those things through research and through academic institutions and medical centers and, and major research. And that's only about 10 years old, this, this massive new body of meditation research where they'll, they'll hook up your brain and then have you meditate. And they'll, they'll, they'll do like, um, uh, there's, a, there's an amazing study at the University of Massachusetts uh, with Harvard Medical Center, where for, 30, uh, for 56 days they had people meditate and they took MRIs of their brain, Mm. you know, magnetic resonance imaging of their brain before, during, and after. And at the end of 56 days, it's only eight weeks, it's less than two months, they found that the gray area in the hippocampus, which is the part of our brain responsible for learning, for memory, for spatial orientation, hand-eye coordination, that just in 56 days, unanimously, everyone in the study increased that area of the brain by more than 5%. So it's not like some random thing that they were doing something else. Simultaneously, all of the test subjects were demonstrated in under two months to actually decrease, to shrink the gray matter in their amygdala, which is the part of the brain responsible for fear, anxiety, and anger. So imagine that, you know, that's just showing up for 30 minutes a day, every single day. But Jay, and and by the time we're done here, I'm hoping that you're not going to meditate three times a week, but you'll meditate every single day because you see the powerful scientific benefits. So what else can it do? Meditation has been proven. And what I'll talk about it, just the scientifically proven stuff, because I'm sure you have a bunch of engineers who pay attention to you as well. And they want the science. They want the proof. None of this, Woo-woo, kooky, dolphin, mermaid, rainbow stuff. If we go back to like, what happens when we get stressed out, we can go back to the fact that we're all, for over 10,000 years, every single being on the planet has been Hardwired with a self preservation mechanism known as fight flight, and that's because 10,000 years ago, when we were walking through the jungles of Goa or traveling through some field someplace, and suddenly we sensed a tiger or we suddenly heard rustling in the distance, in under five seconds, this self preservation mechanism kicks in. It's run by our autonomic nervous system, and it says, Hey there's gonna be a threat to your physical body. You either need to fight it or run away. So in five seconds, your autonomic nervous system, your brain actually prepares you to either fight or run away. First thing that happens is you Mm. start to perspire. It's not to make you more slippery, it's because your mind body knows you're probably gonna overheat, either fighting or running, and how do we cool off? We sweat, so that's the first thing that happens. Then you start to breathe more shallowly and rapidly right, just a little more quickly to start to get the blood flowing. So, of course, what does that do? Raises your blood pressure, raises your pulse, and the blood starts flowing faster through the body. Then your autonomic nervous system says, let's shut down everything that's not essential. Let's shut down your sex hormone. You don't need to be thinking about sex right now. Let's shut down your growth hormone because you don't need to be thinking about your skin cells regenerating or anything along those lines. And let's shut down your immune system because you could be dead in in the next 10 minutes. So we don't need to be fighting germs. Simultaneously, then it surges adrenaline, cortisol, and glucagon into your body so that you're like revved up. All the blood leaves your belly, leaves your torso and your brain and moves into your legs and arms. It's sort of like this thing because you need to be like the best in that moment. And then here's the most amazing thing. The platelets, the hard parts of your blood that run through the plasma become plump and sticky. You actually start clotting in advance of being cut because you might get cut and now you're ready. But fast forward 10,000 years to the present moment, most of us are not facing a mortal threat ever, perhaps in our lives. And so what we've done is we've evolved that, not when we sense a threat to our physical body, but when we sense a threat to our ego when someone challenges us, when someone teases us, when someone embarrasses us, uh, when someone threatens us, when someone threatens a belief system that you have. Really, it's when anyone challenges something you think you own, right? So you love this musical group, And they say, oh, they suck. What are you talking about? And you suddenly, you Mm. get that feeling or they challenge your religion or they challenge your politics or they challenge your belief systems on a greater basis. So suddenly we start to realize, even when we're driving our cars, we think we own our lane, right? Someone comes into our lane, it's like, hey, that's my lane. What are you doing? Uh, We think (laughs) we own 10 feet in front of our car, 10 feet behind our car. Suddenly we start to realize we do a lot of like ownership, I, mean, mine, as we walk through the world. Anytime that is challenged, you get a little tingle of the same fight-flight response, but you're not gonna fight or run away, but you're going to do the emotional version of that fight-flight. So if someone teases you, or someone embarrasses you, or someone has a really argumentative conversation with you, that same stuff physiologically happens to us, chemically and hormonally. So imagine we're like, 8 to 15 to 20 times a day. This even happens if your if your router goes down. This happens if suddenly you lose your signal while you're on your computer. You're like, "Hey, it's supposed to be perfect all the time. What do you mean I've got sketchy Wi-Fi?" So, right? We walk around now we're like these devices always searching for a signal, always searching for a signal. And so, anytime that's challenged as we walk through the world, you know, we can give a gift to somebody and they don't respond appropriately. They just say, hey, thanks for that thing. And you're like, oh, my God, I searched for that gift for like two weeks. And you just do mm-hmm. Or they say, oh, you shouldn't have. And you're like, what do you mean I shouldn't have? I did. And now you're rejecting my gift. So we suddenly realize so many times throughout the course of the day, our needs are not being met. Our needs for attention, affection, appreciation, and acceptance. Think I call those the four A's. Those are like the four needs of the heart that we need on a daily basis, basis. attention, affection, appreciation, and acceptance, and when they're not being met, boom. We get the same type of physiological, hormonal, and chemical response going on inside us. Imagine, you know, we're, we're suppressing our immune system. We're plumping and thickening the blood in our body. You know, we're surging sugar. You know, when we surge like cortisol, adrenaline, glucagon is like eating five candy bars at once. And so, like, we're doing that as we walk through the day. It happens like we get an email, and suddenly it's the person in the email is mad at us. That whole thing happens to us. So, the reason I want to talk about that is because when you meditate, the exact opposite you don't perspire you perspire less you don't breathe shallowly Mm. and rapidly you breathe more slowly and more deeply your blood pressure doesn't rise and your pulse doesn't increase your pulse slows down and your blood pressure slows down and your immune system elevates your sex hormone elevates i mean imagine that and on top of that you know, all these other nourishing hormones, your growth hormones, all elevating, and adrenaline, cortisol, and glucagon are suppressed. And your blood doesn't get Mm. plump and sticky, it gets more fluid. So like, it's a choice. What do you what do you want going on in your life? Do you want to be responding with all of these, you know, knee jerk reactions chemically moving through our life? Or can we just like slow down the whole thing? And so what really I have found is that people who meditate on a consistent basis, right? Because, Bajay, you don't brush your teeth only three times a week. You brush them every day. So I would recommend that we (laughs) meditate every day as well. People who do this on a consistent basis, it sort of feels like the world is coming at them in slow motion. And so they they ultimately, Mm -hmm. like, what's the benefit? We have a higher likelihood of making better decisions. And I know we would all like to be making better decisions. So it's not a spiritual thing. It's like I want to show up and be a better person and make better choices, more conscious choices. So I think that, you know, the benefits are ridiculous. In addition to better night's sleep, 75% of the planet has sleep issues. 75% of this planet. So imagine if we can suddenly like get a good night's sleep. Imagine if we could not finish somebody's sentence. Imagine if we could just be a little more patient and kind to ourselves and to the people who live around us. You know, imagine uh, the the peace that would flow through the world and the better decisions that would elevate this planet. So I think right now in this era of COVID, there is no more essential project that we could work on than self-care taking care of ourselves Absolutely. because this thing will end at some point and if we're just like fat and lazy and and stressed out when they sound the all clear well that's just pathetic but if we're a little lighter if we're just a little clearer if we're just a little kinder to each other as we re-emerge back into the world then this will have meant something then this, this will be a, a powerful step from from man and womankind
1: absolutely so Davidji, you know, meditation has got answer for all these different things that you said about the stress, anxiety, and, uh, you know, finding the emotional balance and all of that stuff. But a lot of people struggle. The first thing that comes when, you know, we talk about meditation is that stigma and dogma that's attached with the meditation where you got to be like a Rishi's yogis and, you know, all these monks who used to, uh, you know, who meditate like for hours and hours. And then, you know, you have to like do hours and hours, right so that's one and second thing uh you know a recently a friend of mine i was doing meditation i was loving it and you know i suggested her hey uh why don't you just you know get on this app and try uh meditation and she was like you know what i just can't slow down my mind and i mean i meditation is just not for me because i just can't slow my mind down and i told her like that's why you gotta be uh, meditating because you can't slow your mind down. And I said, just give it a shot. And uh, uh, yesterday she sent me this screenshot of the app uh, Inside Timer telling me like, I had this 20 day streak and I'm loving this. Uh, thanks for introducing me to the meditation. Right, so what are some of the common myths that are out there about meditation that a lot of people have? Right, well th- this is
0: a great question because you know, no one was born meditating. Everyone had to suddenly stop close their eyes and do nothing. And of course our society has said, if you're sitting there with your eyes closed, doing nothing, you're just pathetic. You're just a slacker. You know, there's no respect going to the person who's sitting there doing nothing. But when we look at someone like, you know, look at at uh, at Gandhi, look at Oprah, look at Richard Branson, you know, look at some of these really high powered people, look at Steve Jobs, You know, Steve Jobs is a meditator, you know, so again, proving that it doesn't make you immortal, but at least while you are here, it's really raising your vibration and the contribution that you can make to the world. So I would, I would stress you know, so importantly that so much of what we've heard, uh, I think prevents more people from meditating than actually encourages them. Mm-hmm. I'm big on dogs, but I'm not big on dogma. You know, I think that my you know, philosophy <laughs> is whatever works, and we have to find, like, what works for me? Some people love mantra. Some people, you know, want to, you know, sit there and over and over go, Om Traiambakam Yajamahe Hey, Sugandim pushti Varinam, Ova Mrityor Amritate. You know, some people, that's their mantra. You know, other people just want to watch their breath. Other people just want to listen to nothing and silently repeat a mantra, you know, over and over whatever works. And so what I have learned over the years, and I have millions of people to meditate. I've taught, you know, members of the Dutch special forces, people who work in NATO, policemen, U.S. Marines, you know, people we would never expect to be like meditating in in some way. And um, what we realize is that it's about showing up and there's no wrong way and so that's one of the number one myths. I think one of the first, well, actually the number one myth is I don't have the time. You don't understand. I've got a job. I've got kids. I've got all these responsibilities. It's like, oh, good thing that like uh, Richard Branson doesn't have any responsibilities. Good thing Steve Jobs never had a job, <laughs> you know, or, or any issue. You know, suddenly we, those are just excuses. So the reality is, you know, His Holiness the Dalai Lama said, if you don't, if you think you don't have um, 10 minutes to connect to that stillness and silence that rests within, then you probably need a half hour. So that's the, <laughs> because if you think you're so important that you don't have time to wait, but what people don't realize is that we do the job better when we come from a place of stillness and silence. How's this? This is a really interesting, there was a study that I, that I checked out, they, they did it last year, they took video clips of 5,000 random penalty kicks in soccer matches and just to see how long the kicker waited or how long they took their time before they actually kicked the ball. And so when the kicker of the penalty shot waited at least 10 seconds before kicking the ball, they had a 65% higher scoring rate. It wow. goes back to yoga Yogastakuru Karmani. They were establishing themselves in the present moment, getting really, really clear, and then kicking the ball. So like, and they, you know, wasn't interviewing anyone, it was just watching videos and timing. And so we know we're better when there's just a little bit of space in between. So when people say, oh, you don't understand, I'm really busy, I don't have time, I would say, oh, well, actually, this would be the best investment of time, even if it was five minutes, even if it was 10 minutes, even if it was 16 seconds, that you just, you know, closed your eyes, watched your breath as you breathed in. Let's do it right now. Let's share this one technique. This yes. is a technique that I have shared with members of the military, with cops, with people in high stressed-out, high-pressure jobs. I've taught this to Bank America. I've taught like this to like so many people around the world. So Think about something that's been bothering you or disturbing you this week. Don't go too deep. This isn't therapy, but, you know, just uh, someone said they were going to do something. They didn't. Something was supposed to happen a certain way. It didn't happen that way. Get clear on that. And now close your eyes and through your nose, take a long, slow, deep breath in and watch that breath. And when it gets to your belly, hold it there and watch it and witness it and observe it. And now release that breath and watch it as it moves up your chest, through your throat, out through your mouth, and keep watching it, keep exhaling, keep holding that breath out as you witness it, keep observing it, and now breathe normally and open your eyes. And that was 16 seconds. And all of our listeners, if you were playing along, then you too absolutely, We're not thinking about that thing, I just asked you to think about it. I didn't say stop thinking about it, I just said close your eyes and watch your breath. So imagine in any yeah. situation... You know, that was a 16-second meditation. So if anyone says, oh, I've never meditated, I'm afraid, boom. Do that four times, it's a minute. Do it 20 times, it's five minutes, and now you have a practice. And that's a great starting point for anyone. So that number one myth is I don't have the time, and actually, if you just took a break, you know, we've scientifically proven that our brain needs a break every 45 minutes. It requires it. We stop Mm. paying attention. We stop really being our best version. So you think, you know, and I've worked with um, engineers at Facebook who are like, you know, they're working for like 70 hour shifts. We know if they took a break every 45 minutes to an hour, even if it was a 16 second break, they'd be rejuvenated. They'd be better. They Mm. wouldn't have to work 70 hours. They could work 60 hours. You know, I'm not going to tell them how long they should work. But start to realize (laughs) that um, we have the power to actually change stuff, you know, uh, that is coming into us. You know, we live in a world where we don't control anything that we experience outside of us. No one can, you know, whether it's death or depression or, or like all this trauma, all this horrible stuff or good stuff, you know, no one, no, no one could stop COVID from coming. No one could, could impact any of this stuff, but we control what we do with it. And so if you can put a little bit of space, just a little bit of a pattern interrupt between what comes in and how we show up in the world, how we respond to it, then suddenly the entire planet shifts. So number one, I don't have the time. I'm rolling my eyes. Like whatever, you don't have the time. Everyone's got the same 24 hours. It's just a question of priorities. Number two, I'm not doing it right. So many people, like they close their eyes. They go, I didn't, the Buddha didn't come and visit me. His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, is whispering in my ear. Deepak isn't you know, talking to me you know, in my sleep. It's like, if you, don't worry about that. Again, the magic happens after the meditation when we're back here in the world and we are more creative and we are a better friend and we are a better parent and a better you know, child and a better worker and a much more clear and creative individual. We're more efficient and we're a better choice maker. I think number three is that um, if you're gonna do this thing, you gotta be really serious about it. You got to go into a cave, disavow money. You have to like stop concerning yourself with, you know, with financial wealth or anything like that. Uh, You have to, you know, take off all your clothes and shave your head and put on robes and only give to charity and walk through the world. And like we think that because back in the day, thousands of years ago, so many of the great teachers were monks. It was broken Mm. down into monks and householders. And the monks, you know, wrote all the great books. You know, if you look at like Patanjali writing the Yoga Sutras and Shankara, you know, translating the Upanishads into the crest jewel of discrimination. Suddenly we start to realize, oh, all those people who wrote all the stuff, they were monks. So, of course, they shaved their head. They walked around with begging bowls. You know, it's not like the Buddha was a mergers and acquisitions advisor. The (laughs) Buddha, most of his life, he was actually begging, renouncing all material riches. But guess what? We live in a world where we have to make a car payment. We live in a world where we have to pay for our room that we live in or the house that we live in. We live in a world where we have responsibilities, financial responsibilities, for utilities, for electric lights, for sending kids to college, for paying for stuff. Like Think of all those things. You know, the Buddha didn't have to worry about that. You know, they were like because he had people, he had his posse out there begging as well, taking care of them. So we have to realize that we can create this beautiful fusion of this timeless body of wisdom and our real-world modern practical application of it. We don't have to live in a cave. We don't have to disavow ourselves of all that stuff. That's a really big myth. And we don't have to take this thing so seriously. Yes, we should practice it with reverence, you know, but we don't have to have like a serious face like, oh. Mm. Think of this as a ritual that we do every single day. And so mm. there's a certain reverence to it. But I believe that bringing a little lightheartedness to it makes it more enjoyable and makes it something that I want to yeah. show up for every single day. I don't want to suddenly have to go, and I've heard so many rules about meditation. You have to sit like this, and you have to have hand mudras like this, and you have to have a rigid spine, and you have to be in a full lotus, utpludi, and you can't have your dog in the room with you, and um, you know, if anyone else comes into the room, you have to stop and kick them out, and if your back is hurting, just hang in there. Like, no, no. I believe comfort is queen. I believe we always want to keep moving towards comfort. Why? Because if we're comfortable, higher likelihood we'll come back and do it the next day. If it's painful, and we're pretzeling ourselves and we're we're being in this, you know, it's like, oh, I can hang on another 10 minutes. This is not yoga where we're trying to hang in a pose or an asana, this is, you know, this is a beautiful, gentle, loving, nourishing practice. And I believe it's at the core of the self-care that we need right now. I believe the power of presence is our most potent superpower. And I believe we're all mutants, like X-Men, And I believe that we have these superpowers of stillness and silence, but they need to be awakened. We need to trust that getting still just a little bit is going to bring us into the next moment at a higher velocity.
1: Wow. So I also realized that there were some of the things that I myself was thinking that, you know, uh, especially the part was, am I doing it right? Because I was always on uh, this mindset thinking that, hey, am I doing it right? Or is this the right way to do it? Uh, Am I, you know, sitting right? Because, uh, you know, my legs kind of usually get like kind of uh, immobile after I'm done with my meditation. And I'm like, is this how I should really be sitting while I'm meditating and all that? So, uh, but for the beginners, Deviji, one of the common problems that I see, you also mentioned about like chanting meditation, breathing meditation. And, you know, there are like a whole lot of different meditation practices that are out there, right? So, How not to get lost and especially with the like apps that we have and with so many options, the meditation is supposed to be simple. It is supposed to bring things down to a few things, but again within the meditation app itself, like there's a lot out there. Right? So where does one begin? Like how do I pick the one or how do I find the right meditation for myself? That's one. Second is so when I'm meditating, like what is advisable? Uh, You know, are we supposed to like meditate on one kind of practice for the longer period of time or it's like totally okay to do one kind of practice today and another tomorrow and another tomorrow and then just like keep hopping from one to another, you know, regularly?
0: Yeah, well, I think these are really important questions. Uh, So number one, I will say the only bad meditation is the one you don't show up for. So as long as you show up, you're doing it right. So that's number one. A lot of people are like, I'm silently repeating a mantra and I'm also watching my breath, but suddenly the mantra is moving at a different speed than my breath and I'm not sure what to do and I'm confused. And suddenly that becomes their meditation and they feel like a total loser and then they stop. So, like, so those are all, you know, bottom line, whatever works. I've got over a thousand free guided meditations on my website. A thousand. That would mean if you did one a day, you have like a solid three years of a practice. I've also got courses on Inside Timer, you know, a 30-day course, a 40-day course, so you can just keep showing up. And like, for example, my 40 days of transformation, it's 40 different, unique types of meditation. So I talk for a little bit, I introduce a technique, then we meditate together, I ring the chime at the 10, 20, and 30 minute mark, so if you're like, I only wanna stick around for 10 minutes, that's okay. If you want to stay longer, you know, you can stay for 20 minutes or for 30 minutes. And at the end of that, I talk about what I call a metta moment. You know, metta is actually a Pali or Sanskrit word, you know, that means unconditional loving kindness. So I have a metta moment where it's like, here's how we can take this technique and bring it out into the world on a daily basis. So something like that, you do that for 40 consecutive days. You know, they say that, you know, they used to think... Dr. Stephen Covey said that it takes 21 days to create a habit. Now they realize that it probably takes about 40 days to actually ingrain a habit. So something like that, that's 40 different techniques every single day. And so I believe what we don't want to do is change the technique mid-meditation. We don't want to be like, well, I started off, you know, chanting the Triambicam. and then I changed that and started following my breath, and then I came up with Aham Brahmasmi as another mantra, and then I started using you know, shalom. And then I switched that to, mm. you know, uh Allahu Akbar. And then I, you know, suddenly by the time I finished it, there were like 30 different things. So we want to just pick one for each meditation. But tomorrow, I don't know. You know, the the meditate the a mantra that I'm really enjoying for the last two years, and I weave it in one day a week, is the mantra om ah hum, which is an ancient Buddhist mantra, which means perfection of mind, perfection of speech, perfection of heart. And so, just by repeating, om, ah, hum, and I don't worry about my breath. When I say, when you chant a mantra, don't try to confuse it with your breath. If you want to follow your breath or watch your breath, then don't get involved with the mantra. And you said it perfectly, Vijay, you know, essentially, you know, less is more. We don't need to complicate it. Pick one Mm. thing, and Here's what people don't realize. We have 60,000 to 80,000 thoughts a day. That's a thought every 1.2 seconds. They are coming. You're not going to stop them. In fact, when you meditate, it might feel like there's more of them, but there's not. They're one every 1.2 seconds. But so if you suddenly find yourself, you know, in your meditation, you know, let's say you're going to meditate for five minutes and suddenly 20 seconds in, you're thinking about, ah, stomach's grumbling. I'm hungry. What should I have? Should I go to the supermarket or should I go to a restaurant? I'm trapped in here in COVID land, so maybe I'll just have some juice. Oh, I'm not repeating the mantra. Let me gently drift back. And what people don't realize is the masters of meditation know that every meditation is a gentle drifting back and forth between whatever the object of your attention is, whether that's your breath or a mantra or something else, and your thoughts. And it's this drifting back and forth. And as you cultivate your ability, and that means showing up every day, you spend a little less time in thought land and a little more time in breath or mantra land. That's it. You know, and so what we're doing is we're cultivating our ability to witness. So when we open our eyes, now I can witness the world with a lot less reactivity. I won't take things so personally. I'll be more impeccable with my word. Don Miguel Ruiz's four agreements are a perfect You know, expression of these aspects. I'll always show up and do my best. You know, suddenly we start to realize that it's a gentle, loving, sweet process. Now I'm from Queens, I'm from New York. So we're like high achievers, you know, we're also Uh control freaks. So, a lot of people who are control freaks or high velocity performers just like you Bajay, you know we're sort of like you know i don't want to surrender i want to be in control here i you know let me just get this thing done i know what i'm doing you know but but if we are just willing to surrender just a little bit you know the phrase i like to use is global domination through surrender you know so that's what i want to do i want to get so aligned with the universal flow that I have the universe at my back, that I have, you know, that I'm not fighting a headwind uh, that's coming into me. And so it's just showing up. Sometimes I have amazing meditations where I see colors and all sorts of amazing things. Other times, all I'm doing is thinking about what I'm gonna have for breakfast. Other times, sitting there (laughs) and I have no thoughts. Suddenly I'm just like, oh, it's over? It felt like it was a second. And it was, you know, half hour. Absolutely. So they're all going to be different. And so we will have the dog barking meditation. We're going to have the planes flying overhead meditation. There, We're going to have the I'm replaying that conversation in my head meditation. We're going to have the I'm so freaking mad at that person. I'm going to when I finish this meditation, I'm going to punch them in the nose meditation. We're going to have all those meditations. And if we show up once in the morning and once in the afternoon, And you get to choose how long you want to do that for. But if you do the bookends of your day, it's really, really powerful. And if you say, oh, I don't have five minutes in the afternoon to let go of everything I've absorbed over the course of the day that no longer serves me. Like, really? You don't have five minutes to let go of all your baggage? I think you do. And if you're like, oh, I don't have 10 minutes in the morning to set my course, to type in the address on my you know, GPS that's inside of me so I can move in the right direction. Well, then you're just sort of just like, you're like waking up and you're just like being like the victim of whatever comes into your inbox, whatever someone tells you. We want to wake up and be more intentional with our lives, more purposeful with our lives. And meditation can really set the groundwork for that on a daily basis. So we've proven the physical Benefits We've proven the emotional benefits of it. We know that we've proven the mental benefits that help us be more successful in life. It's like, really? And you're going kind to of come up with an excuse? You have time for, for social media and for Netflix, but you don't have time to like strengthen yourself and give yourself some self-care? I don't buy it.
1: Absolutely. And also, you know, uh, what I hear you say, G, when it comes to picking the right meditation for you, you know, going back to the way I look at it, like if any particular day, if I'm feeling low and if I need to raise my vibration higher, then I wouldn't usually go on like a calm kind of a meditation because I want to raise my vibration. And that's where I go like a, uh, you know, chanting mantra, which like really raise my vibration and, you know, makes me more excited and maybe, you know. So when I'm feeling like, calmer or maybe relaxed or maybe more anxiety and so on and so forth then that's when I want to like slow down and you know do a breathing meditation and I just uh, based on the mood on that particular day uh, I just you know pick the time like okay today I don't feel like sitting down for 30 minutes and I just want to do like five minutes of quick meditation because I just want to show up so that's like been one thing that now I'm you know trying to Say that, you know, this is non-negotiable thing that I want to do on every single day, even if it's like for three minutes or five minutes. Or even if I don't feel like just sitting down and calming, then I would like go and listen to the mantra and like, you know, chant it loud. And then I'm done like five minutes and it's like really, you know, gets me excited. And I still did that. I still, you know, showed for the practice. Uh, so what you're trying to say also is that, like, is that how people should really be picking up the meditation from a lot of meditations that are out there when they go up, uh, especially on the, again, I'll come to the guided and non-guided meditation practices. Uh, so for the beginners, and I'm sure guided might be the way to get started with and Eventually, they can move with the self-meditation. What's your take on that?
0: Yeah, well, I think, you know, everyone's got a different thing that resonates with them. In most of my meditations, I start with a little music and I talk while there's music but when i introduce the technique i like us to be in stillness and silence and a lot of people say no 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 i need soothing calming music well the buddha didn't have soothing calming music okay <laughs> people who really you know founded this and who elevated it they had noises around them as well and they didn't necessarily have music you know in there so i'll start with some music then i'll fade the music out and then we'll go into stillness and silence together and that's where we connect to the stillness and silence that rests Within, and then we'll, you know, we'll come out of that after using the technique. And I've, and a lot of people say, no, I can't sit silently for five minutes. And I will reply to them, if you don't want to be with yourself alone for five minutes, highly unlikely anyone else wants to be hanging out with you either. So why don't you cultivate your ability to actually be with yourself? So much magnificence. I've learned so much about life just by sitting and doing nothing you know, I've made such better decisions. I was about to make this decision, and then, you know, I meditated, and I'm like, oh, I see the problem totally differently now. I see it so much more clearly. It wasn't really me making that decision. It was like chemicals and hormones from a fight-flight, emotional fight-flight. There's actually a term for that. Emotional fight-flight is called reactive or ego response. So we have fight-flight response, and then we've got this Emotional, reactive, ego response. They're the same thing. They're driven by chemicals and hormones. And if you're not needing to like save your life, why would you act like you have to? So, what meditation also does, and this is so important, it allows us to respond a little more proportionately to what's coming in. You know, you ever have like an argument with someone in the morning and like six hours later, someone asks you if you want a cup of coffee and you're like, no, I don't want a cup of coffee. What's wrong with you? They call that emotional leakage. It's six hours later. You heard that thing already happened. But if that's why we meditate that second meditation of the day, to sort of let go of that. No one wants to have an argument at eight o'clock in the morning and then 10 hours later be talking about it still, you know, and we don't spend enough time. You know, none of us, I, I would say, safe to assume the majority of people on this planet at the end of the day don't say, what did I learn about myself today? What did I learn about life? We don't do that. No one's doing that. We're like waking up, burning through the day, passing out. Waking up, burning through the day, passing out. Waking up, burning through the day, passing out. And then one day we die. So like, why not take a little space? You don't have to reflect on, on everything that came in. But how about just connect to that stillness and silence? I call it taking a time in. Take a time in here. You know, not a timeout because it doesn't separate you from the world. It brings you closer to source, which is resting inside.
1: Incredible. So now I think we have covered a lot about, you know, getting started with meditation, how people can get started, finding the time if you are making the excuses, saying that I don't have time and also picking the right meditation or, you know, just to go and explore and see what works best for you. Right. I think you have already given like a 16 second meditation which is like super quick and super easy for people to get started with and then you can eventually, uh, you know, as David G said, you do it for like once then it's like a 16 second. You do it five times then you have like a minute practice and then you do that and then build that habit of being there, showing up every single morning. Awesome.
0: Let me just share another one that everyone could benefit from. So everyone close your eyes and just watch your breath. Don't, Don't hold it necessarily, but as it flows in, Just witness it as it comes into you, as it goes into your body. And watch it as you exhale, as it flows back out. And just keep noticing. Notice that your mind is calming just a little bit. Notice that your body is relaxing just a little bit. You're just watching your breath, not doing anything with it. You're just witnessing, you're just noticing. Maybe you notice the depth of your inhale, or how your chest rises as you inhale, and how your belly eases as you exhale. And that's really all we're doing right now is just paying attention to the flow of our breath. And now begin to paint a ribbon of breath in the shape of an infinity sign. If you're not sure what that is, it's a sort of like an eight laying on its side. And just watch as you paint a ribbon of breath flowing through that infinity sign. There's no right speed, no right pace, whatever feels right to you, and you just... Flowing that breath through the infinity sign. And it would be normal for you to drift away to thoughts or sounds or physical sensations. That's okay. When you suddenly realize that you've drifted away, ever so gently come back to painting a ribbon of breath in the shape of an infinity sign. There's nowhere else to be. There's nothing else to do except to be right here, right now, in this sacred, precious present moment. And now take a long, slow, deep breath in. And gently let that go. And when it feels comfortable, open your eyes. So again, so easy, right? And again, all we did was introduce a pattern interrupt, just a little bit of a break in the action. And this has been scientifically proven to nourish us at so many different levels. And so you have two tools, you have 16 seconds, which you can amplify that up. You can simply just watch your breath. Actually, it's three tools. Or you can use this infinity breath. Some people use that to go to sleep when they can't sleep at night. Some people use it when someone's pushing their button and really irritating them. Some people do that when their boss is driving them crazy or their spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend is, is driving them crazy. So these tools, they're so easy and no equipment is necessary. And so, you know, I would encourage people just to start small. It's always about frequency, not duration. Better to show up seven days a week for five minutes than once a week for 45 minutes. Because we're cultivating something. We want to get our brain, we want to get our body, we want to get our mind, you know, really just comfortable with the thing. How's that feel, Vijay?
1: Yes, so... Thank you so much for that one. And I felt like I'm going back and like meditating on one of the G's guided meditation. And it was like a very beautiful, beautiful experience. And I'm I, I'm really, you know, feeling like honored to be doing it live here with you, David. Thank you so much for that. That was so amazing practice. That was amazing. So the next thing that I want to talk about, you know, as of now, On our conversation, we we looked at aspects of slowing down and calming and, uh, you know, having better control over our emotions through meditation as a practice doing on a regular basis. So can we manifest our dreams using the power of meditation?
0: This is a great question. We would all agree that we get to program our lives. Again, we don't control all the other stuff that happens outside of us, but we can pretty much control the direction of our lives. Bhagavad Gita, chapter two, verse 47, we have total control over our own actions, but no control over the fruit of those actions. Imagine that, so, because we don't control, like we could be the best kisser in the world, we could be the greatest kisser, greatest kisser on the planet, okay? But you could be laying a kiss on somebody and they could be like yawning, or tired, or looking at their watch, or distracted, and they're not going to respond the way you want. So we don't control the responses, we control our own actions. So that's like a really important thing for, for us to realize. So let's get the most stuff going behind that. So I think the the foundation of that is like an, an obvious process to this. There's attention, there's intention, and then there's action. Attention, intention, and action. If you just have attention and intention and no action, it's wishful thinking. I write about this a lot in my book, Sacred Powers. If you just have intention and action, you don't have that attention, that groundedness to help you do this. And if you just have attention and action and no intention, it's random. So what we need is first the attention. We need to get still so that we're not conditioned so that there's truly infinite possibilities, pure potentiality in that moment, as opposed to me just doing what I've always done or living how I've always lived or responding like I've always responded you know, on autopilot. So if we can get still, spend a few minutes in stillness and silence, and then if during that process we can invite an intention. Now what's an intention? An intention can be a state, a state of mind, a state of being, A trait, a quality, a characteristic that you'd like a little more of in your life. You know, I'd like to show up a little more kind. I'd like to show up uh, a little more bold. I'd like to undim my light right now. I'd like to be more forgiving of a person. I'd like to be more patient. Pick the thing, you know, pick your archetype or pick, pick whatever that trait, quality or characteristic is. And so that's one thing. And intention can also be a step. It can be a state, a state of mind, a state of being, but it can also be a step, a real world action step that we're going to take to bring us a little bit closer to the fulfillment of our dreams and desires. So when we get still, then we invite an intention. So you could choose. What do you want in that moment? Do you want this to be a step? And don't make this about someone else. Like if you're like, well, I want my cousin to stop smoking. It's like, uh... No, I need to be more compelling when I talk to my cousin or I need to like let it go and let that person make their own choices. That's what I need to do, not that other thing. So it's even if you want someone else to heal, someone's sick and you want them to heal, that's a beautiful sentiment. But well, what can I do? Maybe I can call them. Maybe I can reach out to them. Maybe I can send you know, positive energy to them. Maybe I can visit them in the hospital or visit them in their home. You know, so suddenly well, this is only about us. So if we can then invite an intention, a state or a step into our awareness when we're in that state of stillness and invite it in and plant that, and of course, let go of the outcome because we don't control the outcome, we only control our behavior, our activity, our own. You know, what's within my two hands, my voice, my feet, you know, that's my brain, that's all I got. So we release our attachment to the outcome no differently than if you planted a seed in your garden. You know, but Jay, I see these two plants behind you. You know, whatever you did, I'm sure they were a lot smaller when you put them in their pots. You didn't stare at them all day long. You didn't move around the soil, you know, and start, you know, pushing it around. You planted them, you know, and you water them, you nourish them, you let them get sunlight, and guess what? Over time, they grow. Same thing with the seeds we plant inside. In Sanskrit, they call that sunkalpa or sunkalp. Sayen, Sun Sankalp. And that's a subtle intention. Once we've planted it inside, and if we continue to plant that same intention on a daily basis, and then, go into, then we go into our meditation. So we get still, we invite the intention in, then we meditate. We don't have to meditate on that thing. We can use a separate, you know, how do we nourish the intention? Every time we connect to the stillness and silence that rests within, we nourish that intention. No differently than those plants behind you. We give it light, Mm. we give it some water, we give it some food, and ultimately, our inner dialogue becomes our outer dialogue, and ultimately, our outer dialogue becomes our actions, and ultimately, our actions flow into our life, and so I believe we absolutely can manifest our dreams and desires, but you can't just be like a wishful thinker, and you can't Force mm. yourself through that too, you know. Especially high achievers are always like, "Let me power through more effort, you know, more focus." Uh, like I said, global domination through surrender. How still can? There's a beautiful line by Lao Tzu, five thousand year old line by the ancient Chinese philosopher. Do you have the patience to wait until your mud settles and the water is clear? But there's a second part to that quote that most people don't know about, haven't gone that far, because it's not a, a meme on social media. The second part, can you remain unmoving till the right action arises by itself? And that's based on you planting the seed, being prepared, Mm -hmm. and then the moment unfolds, and then you take action. And so that's like such a powerful teaching and lesson there. So yes, of course, we can manifest our dreams and desires, but just like we manifested COVID, We manifested this. Every single person on this planet, 7.6 billion people on this planet, at some point said, I wish things would just slow down a little bit. Hmm. I wish I could just take a break. I wish I could just step away from all of my responsibilities. I wish I didn't have to go to work today. I wish all those cars would stop polluting everything. Well, guess what? boom, we absolutely created that. didn't show up as we anticipated, but we manifested that. So that's why it's really important that when you are manifesting, know that it's going to happen. So don't be frivolous with your manifesting.
1: (laughs) Beautifully put. So I'm having this, you know, such a beautiful moment right now in this conversation. I'm like, just feeling like just keep quiet and just keep listening to you because uh, the things that you're sharing is making a lot of sense. And it's yeah. like, you know, I'm, I'm really enjoying this conversation and So you have this uh, sweet spot community. What do you mean by sweet spot and what that community is all about?
0: Well, you know, I live in, uh, in Southern California. I'm not from here, but, I, but I've been living here now since 2003. And for those of you like unaware, it's like perfect weather 10 months a year. This is like the land of skateboarding. Wow. This is the land of bicycling. This is the land, we're on the beach, we're on the ocean. I'm like eight minutes away from swimming in the ocean every day. It's a little too cold for me right now. But um, this is like that place where, like right now I'm breathing ocean air. The warmth about 10 miles away is this mountain range. And on the other side of that mountain range is this giant desert in California. So So the warmth of the desert is coming in and the ocean air is coming in and they meet like right here. So I've always called that, well, I, that's the the beautiful fusion. That's uh, the sweet spot of the universe. So I created a sweet spot community because I figure wherever you are, you've got some kind of fusion of something as well. It may not be the warmth and it may not be the ocean, but maybe it's something else. Maybe it's amazing people, or maybe it's the greatest job opportunity in the world. Maybe it's, you know, family, or I don't know. But um, so I just started calling my community the Sweet Spot community. We're over a million people now, and these are people who care about meditation. Wow. These are people who are into personal development. Um, these are people who are, growth is important to them. Um, healing is important. I think all of us are on some kind of healing journey, trying to heal some kind of pain from our past, uh, whether it's physical or emotional. So I have sent out a, uh, a video and a free guided meditation every single weekend since 2010. So that's been my, to that community. That's allowed me to, uh, to connect to so many people around the world because, I don't know, I just think uh, I want to hang out with people who feel the same way about the world, planet, how we can help each other. And so some people, these are people from every walk of life. And I believe that all the for wholeness to occur in someone's life, you need the physical, the emotional, you need the material and financial, you need the relationship, and you need the spiritual components. You need all of those. So I believe that we can take care of our bodies, take care of our hearts at the same time, that we can uh, experience abundance, material abundance in our lives, that we can take our relationships to a higher level, letting go of relationships that don't serve us and elevating those relationships and recognizing who's in our front row and being in the front row of other people to support them. And I believe that um, we are all this, these children of the divine, and that we can have a relationship with a higher power, uh, who a divine creator, God, you know, what, whatever you want to call that, because we all come from such different cultures. Um, but I believe that there's something distinctly bigger than me. And I believe that I'm not separate from it. You know, if you go back to the ancient Indian texts, the Mahavakyas. Maha means master, vakya means saying. The Mahavakyas. you know, we're going back like 7,000 years old. The first one is Aham Brahmasmi. And um, I like to say Aham Brahmasmi, baby, because Aham Brahmasmi essentially <laughs> means I am the universe. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean I'm God, but it means I'm an expression of the divine. And so let me vibrate at a higher level. Let me allow remember we're all mutants with these superpowers let me awaken you know my superpowers of the present moment of trust of gratitude of compassion of love let me awaken those and flow through the world because i believe that we transform the world by transforming ourselves so i believe we can always continue to do that on a daily basis fascinating
1: uh, so on the side note, Deverji, a lot of people who will be listening to this podcast are from India and, uh, you know, they might be really fascinated by you throwing all these slokas from sure. the Sanskrit. So do you know Sanskrit?
0: I have been a Sanskrit student for about 16 years and wow. I've been reading the Gita every day. I have about 30 different translations of, of the Gita. I have Paramahansa Yogananda's and I have Maharishi's, you know, translation and like all these different translations scattered around my house. And what I'll do is I'll just say, oh, I think I'll turn on Netflix. But first, let me just open up the Gita and read. <laughs> oh, it's uh, suddenly like just popping in to, um, here I am under uh, chapter seven, verse five. Besides these, O mighty armed Arjuna, there is another superior energy of mine, which comprises the living entities who are exploiting the resources of this material inferior nature. And so it's like a yam ita tu anyam, just like, love it. And so, you know, no one has spoken Sanskrit as a conversational language in like 500 years. So it's, it's so great to have, you know, to touch on that. It's like feeling history. It's like touching yeah. the source. You know, and I've been to Kurukshetra, and I've spent a lot of time in India. I, you know, I go to India, you know, a couple of times a year, um, and take groups there, um, to, oh, wow. you know, to go from, you know, the lowest part of India, the most southern part, up into Kathmandu, you know, and every and every place in between, and so that's you know, I've been doing that now, uh, for a while, and I have this great um, affection for the energy and the essence. That has been rippling through the Indian subcontinent for thousands and thousands. You know, this is the source. It's the source of meditation. It's the source of yoga. It's the source of um, and when I say yoga, I don't mean the physical practice. I mean of oneness of the of really understanding and and practicing all of our you know deep connections. That's how we awaken Gyan Yoga and Karma Yoga and Bhakti Yoga and Raj Yoga. You know, that's how we truly expand ourselves, you know, walking through the world. So I think everyone should be given props to uh, to India and to the fact that it is that source material for so much of our growth and understanding.
1: That's so refreshing to hear. All right. So now I have this round called Enlightening Round uh, where... It's a kind of a rapid fire round site where you're going to give like a shorter, quicker answers to the questions. I've got like a couple of questions. All right. So are you ready for this? I am ready. All right. So what inspires you to do everything that you do?
0: Well, when I was in India my very first time, I did visit the the naughty palm leaf reader who told me the moment of my death and how I will die and when that will occur. And so I know the clock is ticking. So every single morning I wake up and I'm like, come on, let's bring it. All
1: right, clock is ticking, so that's a good spark. Wow. Which one daily habit do you believe has been game changer for you in your success journey? It's gotta be meditation.
0: I believe meditation, setting that trajectory from a place of stillness and silence every single day and planting seeds into that fertile soil and then bringing it, there's nothing close. I know that I am so much better on meditation, so it's gotta be meditation.
1: Best piece of advice you have
0: received in your life? My mother, right before she died, she said to me, whatever you do, she gave me a copy of James Joyce's Ulysses, you know, which is about somebody, the journey of Ulysses. It's the hero's journey. And she said, you know, don't ever stop. She said, keep journeying and keep trusting the journey. So I have, I guess it's worked so far.
1: Beautiful. What was the one wrong belief about yourself that you have held for the longest time in your life?
0: There was an extended period of time where I really believed that because I had had a dream and set a course and been on that path, that I had to stick with that. And so I had believed, as the Bhagavad Gita tells us so often, that each of us has a purpose for being here. And I've learned that, uh, yes, that may be true, but I believe that we have the ability to shift gears and transmute our karma and suddenly place ourselves in positions that would never have been forecast in the past, and rebirth ourselves, reawaken ourselves, and have new uh, dharma arcs. And so that belief of thinking, oh no, I'm here for one purpose, let me figure out what it is, and let me deliver the goods. And now I believe that there are many, many dri arcs, D-H-R-I, dri arcs. Sanskrit word, it's so ancient, it used to be the force Imagine this. We understand gravity, and we understand electricity, these forces of nature. Dri is the force in ancient times that held the stars apart, infinitely pushing them apart, and yet simultaneously held the entire universe together. Imagine a force that could provide this polarity of pushing the stars apart and holding the universe together. And I believe each of us, that was called dri. If you translate that from the Sanskrit, it means that which upholds. And so I believe each of us has our own personal DRI in a given moment. And so sometimes that could last for six months or six years, and then it ends, and another DRI arc, another thing that w- upholds us unfolds. So that was, for me, that was the mind blower when I suddenly realized, yes, we may have an overarching Dharma. Purpose for being here. But I believe as we go through our various stages and phases of life, we have these unique, specific reasons for being here. Blew my mind. I came to me in a meditation actually. What do you want to be remembered for? I would love if I was remembered by everyone who ever came in contact with me as, like, hey, that was the guy who got me on that meditation thing. That was the guy who sparked my meditation practice. I would love that.
1: Awesome. So, Deviji, could you share a book or two that has uh, you know, helped you and you have mentioned already about Bhagavad Gita, but uh, there are any other book that has influenced you and that you would like to recommend to the listeners listening to the podcast?
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, there's a great book by Ram Das called Paths to God, and it's, it's almost like complimentary reading to the Gita. Um, that's that. That's a brilliant book. Someplace around here. Yeah, maybe this is it. This has been a great book. We've all heard of like the hero's journey. And so Joseph Campbell's The Hero with a Thousand Faces. Wow. Really, really, you know, deep, deep dive into that. I'm a fan of uh, Pema Chodron. She's the first um, Buddhist, American Buddhist nun and she um wrote a great book she's written many many great books but she wrote the book when things fall apart so if you're in crisis or if things suddenly have turned to crap that's a great book for it's an easy read and she's powerful and of course you know my most recent book Sacred Powers and a book that you know if you're an engineer or in the like the corporate world, my book Destressifying which is a very secular exploration of how we can better meet our needs, how we can communicate more consciously, how we can find our purpose in life, how we can elevate our awareness, and how we can sort of like, increase our emotional intelligence.
1: Beautiful, so I have one last question for you, David G, but uh, you know, as I already mentioned in the beginning, like you have got a lot of free meditation, guided meditation practices that are out there on your website, on Insight Timer, on SoundCloud, YouTube, and all the, you know, these different places, but people, if people would like to get in touch with you or learn more about meditation or maybe get into the meditation practice, what would be the best possible way to get in touch with yeah, you? Yeah, they could all follow me on Instagram at David G Meditation, or they can
0: follow me on Facebook. And uh, that would be uh, my handle on Facebook. My David G page is facebookcom flowoflove, or you can just look for David G. But I'm yeah. wherever you are, wherever anyone is on the planet, whether it's Spotify, whether it's Apple Music, whether it's Amazon, whether it, pick the
1: thing, I will meet you where you are. Beautiful. If you guys have been listening to my podcast, I've been like, you know, on, on one of the episodes I recommended Inside Timer. And if you are on that particular app, go and check his meditation out or go to David G's website. He has got a lot of meditations on his website and maybe be part of the sweet spot community where you get these. Uh, you know, weekly meditations from David G. And you have seen these two mini meditation practices that David G shared on this episode. And you are going to enjoy either the full fledged meditation, uh, you know, when David G guides you through that from healing to raising your vibration to surrendering to the inner silence, you name it, and he has got the meditation for it. It's been a great, great conversation with you, David G. Here's my last question for you. Imagine that you are standing on a stadium and this one is the largest stadium that has ever been built in the history of the world. And there are millions and millions of people on that stadium. And every single seat on that stadium is like occupied. And there you are on the stage and you have to share the most important lesson that you have learned in your life in one minute. What would be your message? Every moment is a choice. We are
0: beings of free will and we actually have choices. And it's always a decision. What shall I choose at this moment? Shall I choose grace? Shall I choose love? Shall I choose purpose or shall I choose anger? Shall I choose darkness? Shall I choose irritation? And, and it's a choice. And, you know, we have to always be asking ourselves, you know, which wolf am I going to feed? You know, the good wolf or the bad wolf. And when we fail, we get to stand back up, rise from the ashes and choose again. And so I would just say, remember to get still and then choose. So my final line of that 60 seconds would be yoga sta guru Karmani. Establish yourself in the present moment and then perform action.
1: Beautiful. It has been a phenomenal conversation with you, Rabbi J. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a real honor and pleasure in having you here and listening to you. And it's almost like, you know, uh, as I mentioned before, like I enjoyed this conversation so much. I was feeling like I just let David just speak and I just want to be like quiet and just listen to you. You have got a lot of wisdom to share with the world. Thank you so much for sharing with our listeners today. Thank you.
0: Thanks for inviting me on. Remember to stay safe. Remember to nourish yourself and um, keep doing
1: what you're doing, Vijay. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation with Devirji. I hope you learned something or got some inspiration from the episode. If you did, please share this episode with your friends by visiting the show notes page at theinspiringtalk.com forward slash 97. And as you know, we are soon hitting 100 episodes of the podcast. I would love to know what do you feel about this show? I invite you to share your feedback and if you have some personal transformation stories or I invite you to share your feedback and if you have some personal transformation stories or if this show in any way have helped you, I would love to hear from you. You can send me a voice message by visiting theinspiringtalk.com forward slash speak. I'll repeat that the Dot com forward slash S P-E-A-K speak. Go ahead and record your message right away and I might feature some of those in the upcoming episodes. Thank you so much for listening and I'll catch you in the next. Now go out there and do something inspiring.